0: Welcome to Talking Late Night, where we spotlight top comedians and their late night
1: influences. Here's your host, Max Cantor. Hey, everybody. Hello, hello. Welcome to Talking Late Night. I'm your host, Max Cantor, and I'm very excited about the show that I have today because I have a really, really fun, fun guest. Now, this guy, he is a writer. Uh, He's an improviser. He's an actor. He does voiceover work for the hit television show Archer as Dr. Krieger. He's a puppeteer. Uh, his resume warrants a long introduction and on top of all of that, on all of that his birthday is actually featured on famousbirthdays.com. So please join me in welcoming to the show Mr. Lucky Yates. Welcome to the show. Lucky- oh,
0: th- yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Really? What is what birthdays.com? What is that? What did you just
1: say? Yes. Yeah, so Where this was is, my birthday? This is a true thing because uh, I was looking you up to kind of research you, and on famousbirthdays.com, dot com, you are featured on it. It says your oh. birthday, and you are the let's see one hundred four thousand eight hundred fifty one most popular birthday on that website. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. So there you go. But, Man, but, that is exactly the, the standing I was hoping for when I went into this <laughs> industry.
1: You are the number eight when it comes to the first name of Lucky. Hmm. Uh,
0: no, uh, wow. What, what's seven? Do you know what seven is? I don't know. What's, what's just ahead of me? Whose heels am I nipping at?
1: Let me see. Okay, so number one is Lucky Blue Smith. She's a model. Oh, no, no, no.
0: Okay, right and on. And then number seven.
1: Her. Okay, so the person above you is Lucky yeah. Thompson, who doesn't even have a picture on this website, and who is dead, and they were a saxophone.
0: Uh, oh, saxophonist Lucky Thompson.
1: That, uh, yep, So, but you're number wow. eight.
0: Do I, not, do I not, by default, get his spot? Hey, he's not there to defend it. Can't I just roll in? Let's just push Lucky back, you know. What does he care? Seven or eight? He's dead.
1: Exactly. You know what? In my heart, you're gonna be number seven.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thanks for keeping it real. That's great.
1: But I I have to ask you right uh, right off the bat before we start talking about late night, can you tell me because I know your real name is not Lucky, but can you tell me how that name came about?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's all because of the Screen Actors Guild uh but before the screen actors guild it 's all i did the movie elmo and Grouchland uh and it was a sad contract i I puppeteered in Elmo and Grouchland and it was a sad contract and uh i I moved out to l a for like six months this was back i did the movie back in nineteen ninety seven somewhere around there 97, ninety seven ninety eight somewhere in there uh anyway i uh I built up sag points and then in nineteen ninety nine I went out to l a and uh to just check out the scene I was going out there as a puppeteer I mean, like I puppeteered in a movie and i was got my sag points together and I was going to go out to l a and just sniff around and see if there was any anything to grab onto While I, you know puppetry wise uh I really wanted to focus puppetry one hundred percent and so uh I went to go join the SAG, to get my SAG card, to sign up. And if there's somebody with your name already, uh, you can't have your name anymore because they don't want, like, residual checks and all that kind of stuff going to the wrong person. So there was already a guy named Matt Yates uh, somewhere in the world with the Screen Actors Guild union card. And they were like, you can't be you anymore. And I was like, ay yeah, ay, ay what am I going to do? I was very close to calling myself Sheriff just because i thought it would be hilarious <laughs> when i walk into anywhere and people would say hey sheriff and so those who didn't know would maybe suspect that i was somebody <laughs> of importance even though i absolutely was not so um the 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 gal uh, who was behind the computer loved it but i was like i'm gonna sleep on it though before i make this permanent let me go sleep on it and Just check. So I went home and immediately called my parents uh, because they named me the first time, and just to ask if uh, we had any sort of family cool names that I didn't know about. You know what I mean? Because I had to change my name, and so why not at least pluck something that's already floating around in our family somewhere? So they call me back in a few minutes, you know, with like, I don't know, a family album. I don't know where they were getting this information. But my mom starts spouting out like just names that you know, from people in our history. And, uh, you know, but it was all normal stuff like John and Steven and all that kind of stuff. And, I'm, you know, I'm not just going to go from Matt to Steve. That would be like weird. Um. So about 15 minutes goes on and, you know, we don't really come to any sort of conclusion. Uh, and I was like, ah, I'll I'll keep looking. Maybe I'll be sheriff. That's my current front runner. And then my dad, who really has not said anything during this whole conversation, finally just says, "What about Lucky?" And I went, "Lucky Yates. That's a great name. That's the name I'm going with." And, I'm, and if anybody ever asks me, I'm going to say my dad named it, named me Lucky. And so, uh, yeah, that's the story. I, I stole it in the segment my next name, became Lucky Yates. Thanks, Elmo. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And with your name, do you feel like with that you got better luck in life? I'm going
0: gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, man, it paid off. It really did, and I, I can't necessarily attribute it to you know me changing my name. It would be you know like saying it's because I wore Chuck Taylor tennis shoes the whole time. You know what I mean? like and one does not necessarily beget the other, but it has really worked out for me. So yeah, we, I dig I dig my little place in the world. I got this like cool little cult following going on i do very cool and unique projects that aren't gigantic you know i can go about my daily business and nobody makes any kind of fuss over me it's i'm great i'm in this like really nice little sweet spot of fame as far as i'm concerned
1: <laughs> so when you change your name to you know from matt to lucky do you have to like yeah. go to a court and make it like official
0: no 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 because i did not officially change my name like illegally i'm still Matt Yate but uh nobody calls me that and uh, like i you know on bank accounts and everything you can have a professional name attached to your accounts and all that kind of stuff so i have uh you know i'm i'm legal in a sense in that like it's a working name but i did not legally change like my passport doesn't say lucky Yates on it not yet not yet you know what i've I'm almost done. You know, here's a weird law and I'm assuming this is probably Georgia law or uh, yeah, I think it's a state by state thing of changing your name. Anyway, you have to run an ad in a paper, in a published paper, which are, you know, few and far between these days. You have to run an ad for something ridiculous like a month, something like that, saying I Matt Yates want to legally change my name to Lucky Yates. If anybody has issue with this, please notify me. Something like this weird, like what? Uh, really, the probably the biggest thing that's held me back from doing it. That and going through every single you know document of passports and licenses and you know. Bank accounts and credit you know, like going through all that hassle of changing your name, getting it all legally changed over and all that kind of stuff. I'm just like, ugh, sounds like so much work. Everybody just calls me lucky anywhere. Who cares?
1: That has to be the most Georgia and Southern law. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous, man. Well, I just add You know, there there's like a group of politicians sitting in a room and they're like, okay. You know, we have to make a law for people who want to change their names. And one guy's like, well, what if they have to run a newspaper ad for a month? And it's just everybody going, that guy's a genius. That is yeah, so That smart. is the most
0: brilliant thing I've ever heard in my life. Yes, of course. Give, give the public a chance to, to refute this name change. Right. <laughs> what does the public got anything to do with me changing my name?
1: Right, exactly. That is insane.
0: Yeah, it's crazy.
1: Well, so now to to jump into the interview a little bit and take it way back back when you were yeah. Matt. You were Matt and not lucky yet. Yeah,
0: little Matt Yates. Um, little Matt Yates in Warren, Michigan. Look at me go.
1: Whee! Me, well, while you were growing up and as a kid, yeah. as a teenager, what late night TV really captivated and influenced you?
0: Oh man, I mean uh Uh, As far as, I mean, growing up, as far as any sort of late-night talk show was concerned, it was Johnny Carson or bust, man, but he was it. Uh, And, of course, you know, he was brilliant. So he just, I think, influenced an entire generation of comedians in one way or another. Uh, I just turned 50, by the way. So, you know, I'm going back to, like, the early 70s and all that kind of stuff. And I I watched a lot of television. Uh, but I, I will say I, I was more influenced, not so much by, like, Carson. And then, of course, Letterman came along when I was uh, you know, college, late high school, early college age. Uh, and, of course, he was like, he changed the game. Carson had been around for so long. Even when I was young, Carson had been around for a long time. Uh, but then, you know, by the late 80s and early 80s, when Letterman really came screaming under the scene with a completely new take, everybody went bananas about him. So he was influential. But more than those talk show guys, um, on Saturdays in Detroit, uh, we had there was a daytime horror host and then a nighttime horror host. Uh, and the daytime guy was called Sir Graves Gastly, and uh, he was like this weird vampire. Uh, and he would sort of... He would not only introduce movies, but he was a local guy, you know what I mean? You know, like a lot of local humor and stuff involved in his stuff. but he would do these weird sketches, uh, like, you know, they would cut out of the movie, and it was very much like... I mean, Mystery Science Theater is just a sort of new take, or new when it came out in the 90s, but a new take in, uh, on those old style, like every region had their own horror host. Um, so... What we had in Detroit, they didn't necessarily like Elvira, was you know out in LA, and uh, Goularty, I think, who's uh, Ohio maybe I don't know where Goulardi is. Um, anyway, uh, we had Sir James Gasly during the day, which he was more like fun and family friendly and kind of the stuff, but at nighttime on Saturday nights was the ghoul, and that guy was from uh, Ohio, but we got him up in Detroit too, and he was great, he was. All about anarchy. He would blow things up with firecrackers on camera. Um, just really nuts. Uh, and, so, and, and he would also show weird horror movies. Uh, so those are the guys that I really, man, just they had all of my attention growing up. I loved those two guys. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. Horror host, late night horror host.
1: OK, well, to so to go back to talk about Johnny Carson, David Letterman a little yeah. bit, when you watched their shows, what what did you focus your attention on? Was it more the bits they were doing or did you like? Yeah, watching?
0: absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it was fun to get stars, but I, you know, a lot of the, when I'm a kid, I don't relate to a lot of the stars that they would have on those shows. You know what I mean? Uh, and the, but the interviews were fun. Hey, I'll tell you what. I guess younger, earlier on, it was hilarious when it'd have uh, like Jack Hanna would come on from the Columbus Zoo. I think it's an Ohio Zoo. A lot of Ohio stuff. Uh, Jack Hanna would come on. He would bring animals, and Jack Hanna was always kind of a bit of a dunderhead. Anyway, he really came off. I mean, I'm sure he was a a brilliant zoologist, but uh, he just sort of his public persona was that of a just kind of a bumbling fool. And he would bring in animals to Johnny Carson, and uh, more times than not, he wouldn't have complete control of the creature and so it would freak Johnny out. Um, it was great. Like So people like that, I always loved when they had oddballs on. Letterman was great about that, too. Uh, he would get these just like everyday oddballs. Um, they weren't stars coming in to promote their next whatever. They were, you know, like real people. Letterman had some, like, potato chip lady. Uh, Maybe she had potato chips of stars. He would bring her back. Um, Like, early on in the Letterman show, uh, uh, oh, Chris, what's his name? His dad was from Bob and Ray. Uh, Chris Elliott. Uh, Chris Elliott was like the man who lived under the stairs in Letterman's uh, theater uh it was so brilliant like stuff like that just the weird uh, you know Carson did a lot of sketches um and but a lot of them had already been going on for a long time you know what i mean like Karnak and all that kind of stuff and it was gr- it was great stuff but i feel like even today the t- uh, the tonight show more than any of them is uh, the more like sort of all encompassing family friendly non edgy one uh i think that's why conan o'brien really did not well in that uh on that show and where somebody like fallon who's doing he 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 belongs on that show because he's just that sweet kind of non-threatening anyway uh they're weird stuff the weird stuff i loved especially when letterman had just real people on so good
1: yeah letterman am i I rambling
0: i feel like i'm rambling a lot sometimes i ramble when i'm excited
1: you weren't at all your points were connected and made logical sense so it was totally good great Uh, I I uh, read a book uh, about David Letterman and his like rise to fame, and my favorite bit that he did, especially in those starting um, years, where they would do yeah. a monkey cam, and they would just put a yeah
0: yeah 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 where they would like they put the a, a, a camera on a chimp or something, right?
1: right. <laughs> it, yep.
0: They would just they let would it go- run amok.
1: Yep, they would just let it run <laughs> in the audience, and they would go monkey cam.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, so brilliant! It's so brilliant. something you could never ever in 2017 get away with like so good like wild west cutting edge stuff just so bananas oh he broke so much ground so good and the
1: I, and the thing that i personally love about david letterman is cuz it was just so different you know it was so new and opened up all yeah. these doors for comedians yeah, to say absolutely. okay this is okay ap-
0: yeah there would be no conan o'brien or uh uh Oh my God! Why am I blanking on his name? The Scott that from uh, the Drew Carey show uh, that had the late night show hmm. before James Corden. There was
1: uh, oh, um, uh, Craig Ferguson. Craig Ferguson, God, thank you.
0: Oh, I can't believe I just totally blanked on his name. <laughs> uh, yeah, there wouldn't be Craig Ferguson or or Conan O'Brien without the Letterman just completely smashing walls of you know what the Tonight Show, what that format sort of meant to America, and you know. They oh, were so yeah. diehard about it.
1: I mean, I loved the Craig Ferguson show. And one of the reasons, like, I loved it because, like, he had this stable where these two guys would wear a horse costume every episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was crazy, but it was so Yeah, he clever. used puppets all the time and stuff like that. Like, really nuts.
0: And, and that's what I mean. Like, he he really was sort of the the logical next generation of of Letterman where it's just like everything is so bananas, you know, and he's like, that's because Letterman produced him. Like, he clearly right. saw that, uh, you know, it was just like, he's just smashing walls. And I, I live for that. I, I'm i a bit of a rabble rouser. So, uh, yeah, I love smashing the norm and, you know, keeping the squares in check. Uh, raising a little hell, you know, you need it. That's what propels everything forward.
1: So as a kid, would you say you were a bit of a troublemaker? Uh I know I ran with a lot of troublemakers. I ended up in
0: trouble a lot for things I didn't necessarily do. Um I I was also I'm I also have always weighed out consequences uh of things. And so uh yeah, I would get into trouble, but I never got into some real serious stuff just because i'd bag out as soon as you know a heightened sense of danger where i'm like ah eh, this isn't right something bad's going to come out on the other end of this and i'd split out of those situations you know but then my you know all my friends would go and do all these idiot things and then i'd be lumped in with them getting in trouble even though i didn't do anything it was crap like that so but yeah i mean i, I ran with troublemakers yeah sure
1: were were most of your troublemaker friends like Were they interested in comedy or were they doing other stuff?
0: No, no, they were just idiot little blue collar kids in a yeah. you know little suburb of Detroit. Uh, yeah, we were just idiots.
1: Were Were you interested in comedy or you didn't become? Yeah, interested?
0: always, 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 always. Uh, I never wanted to do. I mean, I, I like growing up. I always thought I wanted to be an actor, but I to me that just meant being a, a sort of comedy personality, whether that was in movies or, you know, hosting a weird show. Like, it was always, I just wanted to be sort of on television in some way and always a lifelong animation fan, too. It's weird. Archer kind of got me a, a lot of everything I always wanted. And then I was just like, when it hit, I was just like, oh man, this was like the goal all along. Now what do I do? Mm. Um, but yeah, I. I yeah, anyway, I'm rambling again. Yes. So
1: you said you said you were from Detroit. Were you from the actual yeah. city of Detroit or like right outside? Yeah,
0: I mean born and raised in Detroit. Yeah, I mean the suburb Warren, uh everybody knows of course 8 mile, which is uh that's actually the Detroit border is 8 mile road. Um I grew up just a couple of miles away on 11 mile road. So, uh, like, Warren is, you know, it just it borders Detroit, and uh, it was just a blue-collar little suburb town. It's, it's uh, you know, nothing special. It's, I think it's the third largest city in Michigan, but it's, ba- it's basically Detroit. And my dad is a lifelong Detroiter, and so every weekend we would be down in the city doing things, you know. It was like, uh, Detroit, I, I didn't, Warren meant nothing, you were a Detroiter. Uh, we just happened to live in this town of Warren.
1: Is there a big comedy scene in Detroit?
0: No. Uh, no. When uh, there was really not at all. And then as I was graduating college, somewhere around 1989, 1990, uh, Second City was going to be opening up a, uh, a the, the theater there they were going to do second city Detroit and like people in my, as I was on my you know way out, you know, in my last classes and all that kind of stuff, people were going to start auditioning for second city, but I already had plans. I was moving to New York and, you know, God help you. If you tried to stand in my way, I was going no matter what. And so this thing was bubbling up and I was like, man, that would probably be really great, but I'm already, I'm in New York. I got plans. I'm, hitting the road, and so, uh, yeah, I didn't really go, and so there's a couple of uh, <clears throat> comedy groups now, uh, they weren't around when I was there um, uh, from Key and Peele, uh King and Michael Key is from an improv theater called Planet Ant in Detroit and they're sort of like a good comedy voice of Detroit uh, so like there's improv now but there's, there wasn't really a big like comedy scene or anything like that music there's a lot of music
1: and you're growing up and you know you're saying to yourself you know I'm going to be a comedian I'm going to be on TV I'm going to be all these famous things are you like I have to leave Detroit are you looking at yeah, yeah, oh
0: yeah 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 absolutely especially back then uh you know and coming up in the 70s and 80s and you know I, I left in 1990 uh, it, it, Detroit was really on it was a city falling apart you know i mean everybody now knows how low it got but uh you know it it was always just like coming apart at the seams and so there were no like super it, music there were there would always be you know music that would come out of detroit and maybe hit national and stuff like that but other than that you you couldn't really hope to be famous uh outside of detroit by staying in detroit you know the most you could really hope for was having some local you know get on the news or something you know uh no real outlets so yeah i had to get out of there so i went to new york first and then uh was there for a couple of years and then came to atlanta uh just because a buddy from college was from here originally and said he'd give me a job doing outdoor drama so i came down here atlanta's chock full of opportunities when
1: when you first got to new york you know because uh-huh. i know there's a, there's that stereotype of like Guy walks off the bus holding his suitcase, and he goes, this is where I'm going to make it. You know, what, is, what right. was it like for you on your first day in New York City? Well,
0: back, back then, uh, I – on my first day, wow, that's, uh, that's heavy. I went there with a buddy. The uh, First days were weird because we were staying with a friend. Anyway, uh, I went out there, like, you know, fresh out of uh, college where I got a degree in theater, so I still fancied myself. Yeah, I wanted to be an actor proper at that point. Uh, but I didn't, still, I didn't really know what that meant. You know, anytime I was doing serious dramas or whatever in college, like if we were doing Chekhov, my characters would be completely outrageous and cartoonish. Uh, it was a, a frequent note that I would get of like, okay, you try to play a human in this and not some cartoon. You're up there playing a cartoon and we're doing Chekhov. Anyway, uh so, yeah, to me, I wanted to be an actor, but, like, I didn't want to do, like, serious dramas or anything like that. I wanted to be a comedic actor because uh, I knew I was funny. But still, you know, you get to New York, and, I, you know, a couple of my friends from college and from around Detroit were, you know, there and stuff like that. I had some pals already, uh, and so, you know, I had a little group to run with, but, again, you're just some – you're a drop in the ocean, uh, and I got no agent, I have got nothing you know, how am I going to get into an audition of doing something, so I had friends that wrote a show, and then we performed a show and of course nobody ever came to see it because it was some little nothing it wasn't even a, a theater, but we turned some space into a theater, anyway uh, you know, it was a daunting it's uh, tough, <laughs> it's tough to be poor in New York, it's a city that swipes money out of your pocket every time you turn around, if you want to have fun, you know so, you know, it was, you know, I spent two years going like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if I can get my feet, I can get any uh, sort of footing here. I might go somewhere else.
1: So you were thinking that and then you came to Atlanta or did you accomplish Yeah, yeah, that? yeah. I was thinking I'm going to go somewhere else and see if I can get
0: some footing there. And uh, my buddy from college, uh, you know, who had since graduated and then came back home, said I can get you a job doing outdoor drama if you want to move to Atlanta. And I was like, great. I'm- moving to Atlanta. So I showed up. And, so uh,
1: yeah. the only two places you've lived is Detroit, New York City, and Atlanta? <laughs>
0: well, i spent uh, I spent a lot of time in uh, L.A. Well, I was out there for six months, you know, living there for six months, but I've spent some time out there. Uh, and I lived in North Carolina for a while. Uh, yeah.
1: So when you're living in New York and... In- Uh, eventually atlanta and la are you looking at just primarily being an actor or or are you also venturing into improv and stand up no
0: improv didn't come around until 97 uh, and it was puppetry that got me into improv uh, because atlanta has the center for puppetry art uh and i got a job there working in the box office because a friend of mine was the box office manager and i knew they needed people and so i She got me a job working in the box office at the Center for Puppetry Arts. And then, my first uh, duty, when I showed up for my first day of work, they said, Go watch the show that is currently playing, and so you can sell it. You know, you can sell tickets to the nice people. And so I went in and watched the show. And uh, we have the Center for Puppetry Arts, has this genius, he's uh, the artistic director um but he writes a lot of their shows uh his name is john ludwig and he's just just brilliant and it was one of his shows it was a you know for kids it was called space but it was like really super deep and not only was it informative it was very very funny and so i was i went in and watched the show which had employed you know seven puppeteers and it was literally like sort of light coming down from the heavens and shining while a chorus of angels sang behind me. Where I was like, oh my God, puppetry. This is what I've been looking for the whole time. Like, I'm always too over the top. I'm always cartoonish. I'm like, my characters are ridiculous, but if I just put them in, I have always loved puppets. I loved the Muppet growing up. And so, oh my God, this is it. And so it wasn't long that I was in the box office at the Center for Puppetry Arts and then started doing puppet shows there. I auditioned, for the next round of auditions and got a show. And then I, so I started doing puppetry with them and then I started doing puppet shows for our local PBS station. I did two shows with them. I wrote and puppeteered on these shows. Uh, and then that, doing that, got me the audition to go puppeteer on Elmo and Grouchland. And then, Went and did that in North Carolina, and now here we're back at why I'm called Lucky Yates. Full circle!
1: <laughs> is, there, is there a secret to puppeteering?
0: Yeah, I'll tell you the secret. Here, if you are ever considering being a puppeteer, know these words. Have them burned into your mind at all times. Puppetry is pain. It hurts. It hurts to hold a thing over your head for an hour and make it alive and, you know, acting with it. Uh, Just trying to hold your hand above your head for longer than three minutes, I challenge anyone (laughs) to not start complaining about it immediately if you've got your arm above your head. Uh, It hurts. Puppetry hurts. It never stops hurting. Uh, You have to bend and contort and get into all these weird positions, and a lot of times you're working with several other puppeteers all in one very small, weird, contained, tight space and all, all trying to act around each other while you're making the puppet either above your head or wherever move. Even TV puppetry, where you can stand fully up because you know they got the cameras aimed up high, and you can hold those things above your head. It still hurts. It hurts. It never stops hurting.
1: What's the thing? That, that... being said, oh,
0: keep going. It's totally worth the pain. What?
1: Oh well. Wow, that was a very touching end to that story. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. Worth the pain.
0: Yeah, totally worth it. Totally worth it. I, it's, it is, really is the art form I love the most.
1: I was going to ask you, um, what is the thing that bothers you most about bad puppetry? Uh, I, you know
0: what? I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what bothers me the most about bad puppetry is how the public accepts it. <laughs> um, <laughs> the public should not accept shitty puppetry. Can I swear? I just swore. Sorry.
1: You can, Uh, everybody always asks me that. I don't know why.
0: Well, you know what? It's, yeah, it's, I've actually been sort of consciously keeping it cool. I've got a mouth like a sailor, man. Uh, But I've been trying to keep it cool just because I don't know exactly what the vibe is of this show.
1: Well, the vibe is we are on a ship. So if you would like to talk like a sailor, you may.
0: Anyway, what? uh, Oh, why the people accept. People shouldn't accept shitty puppetry. Don't accept it, people just because it's funny and you've not really seen anything new other than the Muppets, you know, uh, I don't accept. Yeah. I, I love, Oh, uh, what is the, the, uh, Garfunkel and Oates, they have that show on IFC and there's like their manager or something is a puppet and uh, nothing against the performer or the characterization of that puppetry, but the puppetry of the puppeteer, but the puppetry is, awful and it really bugs bums me out and i know that probably everybody involved in that whole production thinks it's great just because they don't really know any better it's just the fact that that thing is moving that they think is hilarious it's not cool like it should be you know hire a real puppeteer this country is full of them they're just on the fringes somewhere doing puppet slams somewhere near you, um, find them and employ them. Uh, you don't need to just hire any Joe Schmo to slap a thing up. A lot of people think puppetry is easy. That's another thing. People th- think, oh, man, what, what can be so hard about it? You throw a puppet on your arm and you make it talk and it'll be hilarious. It's, it's really, you have to focus everything sort of in your forearm or your whole arm. You know what I mean? You have to give an entire performance in, into a stock and make that stock look like it's doing... Human thing, and so uh, yeah, people should demand uh, that their puppeteers be professional, uh, and not just a guy, a funny guy that is throwing a you know a rag on his hand. That's now, all. Now I'm done. I'm done ranting.
1: You threw a phrase. That was out, a rant. Yeah, I, you threw this phrase out there that I I want to spotlight. You said puppetry slam.
0: Yeah, puppet slam. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's Puppet Slams. There we have in most, most major metropolitan areas in this country of ours will have a Puppet Slam somewhere going on. Puppeteers are always in the fringe. We'll, you know, we're little weirdos uh, who hide to perform. So uh, th- th- there will be, uh, there's a, a network online, I think it's puppetslam.com, uh, Heather Henson of the Henson family uh, and her sort of cohorts. Uh, I believe it's still updated. Um, it's on a website called puppetslam.com, and you can find where the Puppet Slam nearest you happens. And it's generally late-night uh, short-form puppetry, so it'll be a, a collection of uh, little tiny puppet shows. I used to curate one here in Atlanta at Dad's Garage Theater, where myself and Amber Nash, who plays Pam on Archer, uh, we do improv and all that kind of stuff here. And I've done puppetry at Dad's since I've joined the group in 1997. Um, anyway, I used to host these, like they were like midnight puppet slams. And it was just like, I would contact all my puppeteer buddies in town because the group were full of puppeteers because of the center. Uh, and they would come and they would put together a little show for that night. And it would just be, you know, it was their chance to either try something out or if they, a lot of people had sort of ongoing things going on, like you would go see the next adventures of uh, Crack Rabbit and Bear. That was two characters that my buddy Bo Brown would do every time. And so you would see the next installment of their little thing. Uh, yeah, just a fun collection of uh, puppetry pieces. Live puppetry is great, man.
1: I feel like puppeteering is like this whole underground world that people don't realize.
0: Yeah, it is. It's starting to bubble up. Puppets are starting to pop up in a lot of... Uh, people are using the Bobcat Goldsweight right now. is shooting some show in Atlanta, and there's puppets involved in that. Uh, I know of other... like I keep seeing things uh, like on Twitter and stuff like that. They're like, oh, they're going to start using a puppet. I work with Alton Brown, uh, and I've been doing puppets uh, on, his, on Good Eats and stuff like that for him for years. Uh and then we're we're starting Good Eats back up again next year. And I know there will be a lot more puppets involved with that one as as well as Alton and I wanting to do other side puppetry projects that has nothing to do with Goody. Uh so the but the puppets are starting to like there's a rise going on right now. I don't know how high it'll get, but uh hey man, we'll take any step we can.
1: So I'm I mean I'm going to touch on you and your friendship with Alton Brown a little bit later. Yeah. But I have to ask you because you mentioned earlier how you got that gig working for the Elmo movie. How did you what was the audition process to get that? For
0: Elmo and Grouchland?
1: Yeah. Uh I believe
0: first I think the first thing we had to do was we had to record ourselves with a puppet which back in 1990, when was this, 7, uh, 1998, somewhere in there, uh, you know, finding a way to, it would be, you would have to make yourself like a, a videotape and then send a whole tape to them. Uh, you record yourself, but I was working at, on PBS shows already, and so me and my buddies, all my buddies on the show, we all auditioned for this. and You had to, say, <laughs> you had to get a puppet, and on camera you had to say your ABCs, and you had to count to 10 uh, with a puppet. And then, you know, they just wanted to see if you could do proper lip sync and what your style was and all and if you could do any characterization or anything like that. And then if you got a callback, which I did, uh, then we had to drive to Wilmington, North Carolina, which is where the movie was, uh, filmed. But we had to audition for Kevin Clash, who was elbow at the time. He was the guy who made elbow famous. Uh, and so, and you walk into the pretty daunting audition. So you go there, and not only are you auditioning for Kevin Clash, who is a very sweet man, but also he's Elmo. You know what I mean? He's not only going to be your boss on the on the movie, but he's also the star. And so, you know, intimidating enough, uh, and also at that point, the the superstar of Sesame Street. Anyway. Uh, when you go into audition, they've got an old Oscar the Grouch laying there, and so you like have to pick up what you know to me was like this god figure of like, oh my god, it's a an actual Oscar, and then you know put your hands up and it, and then try to make it move and do a Oscar impression, which you know I mean everybody can talk in a growly voice, but you know to do an Oscar correctly is you can't, not everybody can knock that kind of thing out. Anyway, it was a pretty daunting audition, but. Again, I think they were – nobody – none of the background grouches were going to be talking anyway. They just needed people to fill big scenes and stuff like that. So I got the job. But it was great because I had to go to Wilmington, North Carolina for like a little over a month and uh, shoot a, a Sesame Street movie with all of the original old Muppeteers, you know, like Jerry Nelson and uh, who else was around on those days. Yeah, all the old guys were kicking around. Uh, and, uh, Carol Spinney, who was Oscar and Big Bird, uh, you know, and got to hang out with those cats and, you know, get to be friends and stuff like that, which was really awesome. So yeah, that is a very long answer to a simple question. I'm sorry.
1: No, don't apologize. I,
0: I do get to talking.
1: That, no, I found that story really cool. I mean, you don't hear much of, of people who get to work with the original Elmo. That's a pretty cool story.
0: Yeah, I actually, you know, what's funny. He's not actually the original Elmo. Elmo was around before Clash got a hold of him. Uh, and it was a character that just wasn't really, nobody Nobody really cared about him so much. And then uh, Kevin had done the Dinosaurs show, and he was that baby dinosaur that everybody loved so much. I can't remember, like, he had some kind of catchphrase or two. You know, but everybody went nuts. He was actually a a puppeteer on uh, Captain Kangaroo's show back in the olden days, back in the 80s, I think. Anyway, um, yeah, so he was not the original Elmo, but yeah, uh, meeting, yeah, befriending, like, you know, I mean, Jerry Nelson, who was such an amazing puppeteer, and he was such an amazing musician and just so kind. All those old guys were so kind and wonderful. Just lovely, lovely human beings.
1: So after you wrap up the movie, you finish that, what was the yeah. next step in your comedy career?
0: Uh, let's see. I came back here yeah, somewhere in 97. I went out to L.A. for a little bit and then came back. When I came back, when I came back, all right, so I went out to L.A. in 1999. I kicked around and I worked at Dad's Garage Theater doing improv and all that kind of stuff. And building, Hey, I, 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 you know what, I shouldn't, Let's not breeze over Dad's Garage Theater, shall we? Let's give Dad's Garage all its proper credit and due. Uh, I would be nothing uh, of what I am today without Dad's Garage Theater Company in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, it it is. I, I'm a you know lifelong wanted to be an actor, studied theater in college, but also didn't really care for the traditional boring you know what i mean come out and be in you know, a checkoff show and don't make it funny well um, somewhere around 1997 because i was working at the center for puppetry arts let's get into this show it, i did a show with some friends uh in a in the brand new downstairs theater at the center they would opened up a new small little venue and um, they didn't have any summer programming and so some of some friends of mine and myself, uh, wrote and produced a show called The Illuminating Adventures of Rex Rocket in Outer Space. And it was a puppet show and it was a weekly science fiction serial, basically Flash Gordon or Buck Rogers, those old serials from the 1930s and 40s. Uh, we had this character called Rex Rocket and uh, every week there was a brand new episode So, <laughs> at which we wrote and built that week. So uh we did this thing we created this big event around it and so not only would you get the episode of rex rocket but then we would we invited uh little puppet companies from around town they would come and do weird little pieces before the show but we also wanted because dad's garage was young the young hotshot theater in town of these kids from florida state that were all hilarious and uh did improv which was not a being really, here in Atlanta, so much. Um, we asked one of the guys from Dad's to come and put together a puppet improv show. <coughs> excuse me uh, for this evening with Rex Rocket in Outer Space. And so, a guy named Matt Stanton put together a little show, uh, an improv show with puppets, and I puppeteered and improvised in that. And I'd never done improv or anything in my life, but I, you know, was. Um, great puppeteer, and sort of naturally did a lot of improv, you know, during rehearsals and all that kind of stuff, anyway. Anyway, I had a knack for it, and I, I did very well in this puppet improv show. It actually became the most successful part of the whole Rex Rocket evening. It was everybody's favorite thing. And then so the guys from Dad said, hey, you're really good at this. Why don't you come over to Dad's and do some improv shows with us? You can bring puppets, but we want you to do it just as yourself, too. And so I did. And they were a young company. There was probably about a dozen guys Uh, And it was all guys. I think maybe there was a, a, when I came in, another uh, gal named Kendra came in along with me. And so she became the first female of dad's garage. Anyway, uh, we started doing improv. And I mean, dad's garage is a huge juggernaut in Atlanta today. And back then it was really 12 guys that were college buddies in an old crappy warehouse doing improv shows. And uh, it's, it's, Everything I ever wanted in a theater. We write our own, it's comedy based. We write all of our own scripted material. Uh, We do improv shows every single weekend of the year. We never close. Uh, We're basically a family. Um, And some of the most brilliant comedians I've ever seen in my life work there and, you know, are just like, you know, have regular day jobs and stuff like that, but are these comedy and and creative geniuses that work there and it's just this amazing incubator that is still on the rise and so uh so much of who i am as a comedian and everything really comes out of uh dad's garage theater in my and it it letting me create this lucky yates character because i started dad's garage as matt yates then i went out to la came back as Lucky Yates, and Dad's embraced it immediately and let me run with it. They also wanted me to do everything puppetry-wise that I could, and so I'd created a bunch of shows that went on for several years, you know, were puppetry shows. During that, which is actually very, um, uh, very much related to the theme of this show, is for a while, back in started back in 1999, uh, I did the Lucky Yates talk show. So I did. I became a late-night talk show host. I did midnight shows on Saturday nights at Dad's Garage in a small theater, and I did it like it was a TV talk show. Again, at that time, there was only Carson and Letterman. Uh, I was going to do it like it. No, actually, that's untrue. Conan O'Brien was around. Um, I was going to do it like a TV talk show, except it wasn't on TV. And so I had a sidekick. We had a band. We did the whole thing, and we would just have local – guests and stuff like that and so that show kept going on over the course of years and became sort of a little cult thing in town and that is how i met elton brown because i had him on my show Wow! i cut you off before you got there
1: look at that wow okay so yeah
0: so i did i was a talk show host for several years
1: so with the talk show, was it like you did a monologue and then you did the interview? Yeah, I did a was monologue
0: it- that we had a couple of the guys at dad's were my monologue writers.
1: So we would get there. They would either write something
0: that afternoon or we would we would always get there early and we would sort of like, you know, group together before the show and stuff like that and they would either give me my jokes or we'd go over the jokes and all that kind of stuff and I would yeah, I would read them off of two cards and memorize them or anything like that. But I came out and you know, we had a band that would introduce me, my sidekick would introduce me out, and then I would come out, and you know, Chris Gerhardt's kind of doing this uh, talk show right now, and it really reminds me, of, like, wow, it's a lot like what I was, if I had kept doing that show, it would absolutely have ended up very much like this, I love that guy, the show is awesome. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, we, we did it for years, it was great.
1: Man, I would love to host something like that, that sounds like so much fun. Because it oh, was so much fun. And, yeah, and I really sort of honed my interviewing skills during the course of it, and,
0: uh, yeah, really met a lot of people. It, it it gave my career a definite huge step up, because that's when Good Eats happened, you know?
1: So you befriend Alton Brown, and was this yeah. before, like, he was Alton Brown? Uh, you No, know, Good Eats was already going on. I don't know how
0: many years it had been on. Maybe it's just a... Uh, couple of years at best uh it had been on television it wasn't really a mega crazy hit yet but it was it was really bubbling up when i had him on the show it was a huge sellout, and we were like whoa you know and he was like hey i'm I'm releasing my first book that's when it was it was whenever he released his first book uh you know so he was he was at least that popular at that point you know we had a big book coming out anyway the show was a Wild sellout, you know, to fill the big theater. We didn't normally get did it do it in the big theater. We always did it in the back in our tiny theater, uh, and a big smash hit. And so, yeah, he had me. He had a great time on the show. And so, when a role, when he wrote a role on his show, he was like, "I should get Lucky ace to come in and read for this," and I went in and he hired me. But again, my friend Bart, who is the guy who uh, got me to move to Atlanta to begin with, he was one of my best friends in college, and from here and uh, he's the guy that offered me the job in doing outdoor drama. Uh, He was my sidekick on the show, and so he's the one, he was already doing Good and Elton loved him. And so he's the one that said, hey, I'm the sidekick on this talk show. You know, this guy we go and do the show on 96 Rock. It's kind of a thing. You should come do the show. And Elton was like, oh, and Elton did theater in college and all that. And he was like, yeah, 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 totally. I, I've always wanted to do something. Dad's actually so just came to do it as a lark. And he's like, I'm releasing my book. I'll bring some to sign or something like that. Anyway, it all worked out. I ended up on a new show.
1: So would you say you guys are friends? Alton and I? Oh, a-
0: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I had to ask you that because now in your bio that I write up for the show, I'm going to say friend of Alton Brown. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> he would not
0: uh, dispute that one little bit.
1: Now, moving on from Good Eats and your time at Dad's Garage, talk to me about Archer and how you got there. Okay.
0: Well, uh, you know, again, it, it, really, it still births out of Dad's Garage Theater. In our ensemble uh, are some, several artists of various types, but some of them being illustrators and also animators. And a couple of our guys were working at this little company called 7030 because they were doing the show Sea Lab 2021 on Adult Swim, which is, you know, located in Atlanta. So uh, a couple of our guys were over there doing that show. Then they stopped doing Sea Lab and then they were going to do this new show called Frisky Dingo. And uh, I know everybody read for it. We all sent in, like, audition tapes and stuff like that, reading for characters in Frisky Dingo. But anyway, I think Amber is really the one who came out with a role. She, she played Val on Frisky Dingo, who was an assassin. <laughs> and uh, so she, and since uh, artists from the show were at Dad's Garage, and then Amber went over, and she was associated with Dad's Garage, they had a character, one of the extacles, was going to, which were all the sidekicks of the main hero, um, one of them was going to be the voice of reason all the time. Like, he was going to be the guy who's going to be like, come on, guys, we can't do this. We're all a bunch of idiots. And uh, so they had they, seen me emceeing of the, the guys, the producer, Adam Reed and Matt Thompson, who Adam Reed is the creator of Archer and sole writer of Archer, but he was also the creator and sole writer of Whiskey Dingo. And Matt Thompson is the business producer side of that partnership. And, uh, and also some creative stuff, too, but that's really Adam's realm. Uh, so they had seen me hosting a burlesque show in town and really liked my voice. Uh, and then when this exticle came along, since everybody at Dad's Garage, they were like, hey, what do you think of Lucky H? And then, so they everybody was like, yeah, great. So they brought me in. Uh, and I played this exticle for a while. They're showing it was only two seasons long, so that happened. Archer starts off, you know, they hired Amber as Pam right off the bat, you know. He just brought her over from Frisky Dingo. And, uh, about, like, the third episode, Krieger was in it, but he never talked. Uh, But, like, in the third or fourth episode, he was going to start talking, and, uh, so... They were recording Amber, and they were like, hey, we're going to, you know, we got this new character. He's a weird old scientist guy. Who do you think? And she was like, well, what about Lucky? You know, we were already working with him on Frisky Dingo." They were like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, why would we not bring Lucky 8 over? So they brought me in, and I recorded the full first episode, and they were like, you know, we love you, but we don't know. You know, we don't know if FX is going to have issue. We just don't know. We want to say you're going to play this guy from now on, but we can't say that until we get final approval, and then eventually, like at the last minute, final, final approval came along, and then I was going to be playing Krieger, who was not in every episode at this point, but I, you don't know that things are going to be able to be a hit, you know what I mean, Amber and I were already doing shows with these guys at Adult Swim, and you didn't really make any money off of it, and of course, you know, things they just disappear out of nowhere, and then... So, you know, it was one of those things of like, hey, we're doing a whole season of this. Uh, we don't know if it's going to hit. We don't know. If, we don't know. We don't know what's going to go down. Well, then it turns out to be a hit. And, and then as time goes on, uh, Adam falls more and more in love with the char- Krieger character, and he starts writing more and more things for the guy to do until eventually in season five on, in the opening credits. And, you know, it was like a slow rise. It was really great. Uh, but yeah, Krieger had a slow rise up there into, I don't know, fame and not fortune. That's not correct.
1: What's been your coolest moment so far with being a voice on Archer? Oh
0: boy. Like singular moment. Uh, you know what? I'll tell you the first time I saw a dude cosplaying as Krieger, I lost my shit uh i probably nerded out over that dude more than he nerded out over me because uh, i approached him you know nobody knows who i am right you know you're a voice uh and so i was at dragon con here in atlanta and i see him and i was like oh my god so i just went booking over to him and just went oh my god dude that is a brilliant creator. And he's like oh thanks and i'm like I'm Lucky Yates. I play Krieger, and this is amazing. And he was like, what? No way. And I was like, dude, whatever. It's not about me. Look at you. You're It's so good. You look so good. And I was just like, I can't believe, can I take my picture with you? And I'm like totally freaking out about this guy. And he's like, yeah, but you're you. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like, look at you, man. You're playing a dude I play. It's so awesome. This is such a weird moment. Uh, it was great. And, you know, just being pals with Famous people is pretty awesome.
1: So that that was something I was actually going to ask you. You know, do you get recognized on the streets?
0: You know what I get a lot. Here's what I get a lot. Uh, usually while I'm working through because it just happened in the little Five Points, which is an area in Atlanta, at our Halloween festival. They have one day of a Halloween festival, and uh, I was walking through it, and a guy will be like, "Oh, oh, there's hey, that's oh man." What's that? Oh, it's from Archer. Oh, what's that? Oh, I get that a lot. <laughs> but not even a lot. Like it happens. It doesn't happen very frequently at all, but it, it happens every once in a while. And it's nice. You know what I mean? But like I say, it's like I'm that perfect level of not everybody knows who I am. Nobody knows who I am. Who am I kidding? Uh, so, you know, I'm free to go about my day. It's great. So Maybe I, if I talk a lot, people will be like, if you hit the right person. Again, Archer's, Still kind of a cult hit. It's a hit, but it's, you know, it's not Bob's Burgers, let's be honest.
1: But, I mean, a cult hit, to me, is so good because the people oh, who love it, they love yeah. this.
0: They love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I never wanted to aspire to be more than uh, a cult uh, famous person. Like, I, having a little cult following and being able to do weird, cool, archy, bizarro things is right up my alley. I love it.
1: So I have to ask you this question. This is a question that I asked Kevin McDonald when I had him on. Um, oh, my God.
0: I love him so much. He's so great. He
1: It was a great interview. Uh, he really taught me a lot, told me a lot. It was super fun. But I asked him this question, and I, his answer was like, it was pretty cool. And I'll tell you what he said after you answer, but I have to ask you. So on your cell phone, who is the most famous contact that you have?
0: Oh. <sighs> It'll be, it'll be, uh, it'll be Archer, an Archer-related person. Uh, The most famous, I don't know how, I don't know anyone's level of fame. I mean, the whole cast of Archer is on my cell phone, so, you know. But are they more famous than Alton Brown? I don't know. I know, everybody knows who he is. Old people know who Alton Brown is. Not a lot of old people know who, like, you know. John Benjamin is, necessarily. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I'll, 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 I'll go with, you know, Elton or Aisha. Aisha? Judy? No, Judy's a movie star. Who am I kidding? Judy Greer. Judy Greer is also one of my very best friends in real life. Uh, we're, both from, we're both from Detroit, and uh, I would take, I don't care how many bullets are coming, I would take them all for Judy Greer. Uh, I love her so much. I love the entire cast. I shouldn't just really focus on Judy. I love Aisha so much, and uh, and every one of them. Uh, Jessica is so wonderful and dear, and oh, I love her so much. But uh, yeah, Judy and I, just we're both from Detroit, so I think we just share this really above and beyond our wonderful friendship. Uh, we just share this sort of common background that really unites us. Uh, anyway, yeah, by Judy, probably?
1: Okay, well, Almost, there you
0: go. I don't know. How do you, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to say Judy because I don't know how you said Jessica. Jesus Christ, Jessica Walter is a legend. Like, how do you How do you get more famous than Jessica Walter? I don't know.
1: I didn't know this I didn't know this would cause so you This so question, fight. like, this question so is driving me insane, Max.
0: I'm kidding. Well. One of the Archer people, or Alton.
1: Um. So, well, I, that's a good answer. I liked your answer. Kevin McDonald's answer was Mike Myers. That's who he settled on.
0: Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, right on. Yeah. yeah. That's well, you mean. know, all improvisers from Canada. You know what I mean? Like, Mike that's Myers true. was kicking around up in Edmonton and Calgary for, you know, all the early dear, years and stuff like that. Can, the, the, the Canada comedy scene is amazing, man. Like, like improv. Like all, all Canadian improvisers are all so amazing and brilliant and all the groups work with one another no matter what city they're in or province like it's so good they have comedy awards uh big comedy awards that work in canada like it's oh so it's so good there that's really the happening comedy scene is canada
1: have you ever visited um the vancouver improv festival oh yeah sure yeah absolutely how how was your experience fantastic
0: uh, this was back in I don't even know what year I couldn't even take a step. 2000. I haven't been to Vancouver in a million billion years. But yeah, I mean I went there for I went there for a tournament for a theater sports tournament, which is an improv sort of franchise theater sports. A guy named Keith Johnstone created this format, which is a competition between two teams. That's just all I really. But anyway, there's you know, if you're there's only a certain sanctioned theater sports theaters, and so. We went and did a theater sport. We do a, I don't know if they. think they still do the tournament there. But anyway, uh, I, went there, I went there for a tournament. It was a fantastic time because you see, you know, improvisers from a bunch of different cities all over the place, and you're all doing shows with and against one another. It's great.
1: To wrap up the interview, um, I have to yeah. ask you, you know, where you are right now, what is the next step in your career? What's your, your next step that you're headed? Well, oh, I, I, I
0: mean, who knows? Who's to say where I'm headed? Uh, you know, you never know what's going to catch. I mean, you know, the biggest thing I got coming up is that we're putting Good Eats back together again. Like, it, it's, it's, currently it's called Return of the Eats, but I don't know if that is a title that's going to stick with it throughout or not. You know, these things tend to change, and so what you start out with isn't necessarily what ends up airing. But right now it's called Return of the Eats, um, and so I, th- I feel like that's going to be a big deal uh, it's a show that's been off of the air for quite some time um, and was very influential. Uh, I think uh, today's young parents, uh, people of young parents' age, sort of in their early 30s, 30, people in their 30s, I would say, a lot of people uh, learned how to cook from Good Eat. A lot, of, uh, a lot of chefs and stuff like that. When I run out, I go out to eat with Al some young chef will always come out and rave about how was the one that inspired them and taught them how to cook when they were younger and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's a big show, very influential. And uh, I think my profile on that show is going to be elevated a little more than what it used to be. And so I, I imagine that'll help boost things up. I'm also a movie host on a streaming service called Filmstruck, uh, which Turner Classic Movies and Criterion have started a streaming service it has been around for about a year. Filmstruck. Um, and uh, it's an uh, independent art house, uh, foreign documentary, uh, and cult cinema. Uh, so really cool stuff. Uh, so I'm a movie host on that. And, uh, you know, hopefully there will be levels to that type of thing. And man, if I could end up. Like, again, at the top of our conversation, like Sir Graves Gastly or The Ghoul. If I could end up some sort of weird late-night horror host, that would be perfect. That's where I'd like to stop and stick oh. around for a couple of decades.
1: Did you ever a, uh, know of or attend the Spook Show at the Plaza Theater? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my yeah, God. Shane, that was... who
0: did that show, was just brilliant. It was, was you know, you know, it's, it's still brilliant. You know, Shane, who did that show, he does all of the practical effects and makeup on your pretty face is going to hell on Adult Swim now. Like, oh. But uh, yeah, uh, Professor Morta, who is his character, his uh, horror host character, is great. Those shows were great.
1: Yep, I used to go to all of them and none of my friends yeah. would go. It was just me and I was like the weird kid that was interested in it. But I actually had Yeah, one of my- yeah
0: so yeah, there you go. Is. You know, That's exactly, so the, the thing that he was doing was the shows that, like, were very much like the shows I was talking about, like Sir Grave and, like, uh, The Ghoul, where it would be these weird sketches, these characters, you would have this, maybe a storyline going out through, but it's just on commercial breaks from the right. movie, just great.
1: Right, I, ha- I had, like, I think it was my 12th or 11th birthday party at the Spook Show. Yeah, oh, nice, <laughs> <and laughs> well, ha you're a all- kid, for- and they had they would like had no idea what was going on and i was like this is my jam everybody this is awesome
0: right on dude Yeah, yeah hell yeah stick with it
1: yeah i mean i was i was confident with it if i loved it just look it's what i loved i didn't care yeah cool um but one last question for you yeah when when you go to alton brown's house does he cook for you
0: uh, and, uh, he has, but we more we'll just go to a restaurant because you know I mean cooking is also a job. So true. Uh, but I've like I've had Thanksgiving at his house before where he I cooked had
1: Thanksgiving and with he deep fried. Huh? You've had Thanksgiving with Alton Brown? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it was great. Well, I mean, I guess like for you, you guys are just friends. For me, that's pretty cool. Uh
0: yeah, you know, uh, yeah, we we're, we're also kindred spirits, you know, uh, so I I think it's one of the reasons we really are good friends. Uh as we're very kindred spirits. We understand one another to the core. And uh so yeah, like going to I yeah, I, I guess I re- I do sometimes realize that it's a big deal for people, but yeah, you know, to me it's just my pal who happens to be famous, you know, and right. you know, but uh, you know, I have a lot of famous pals now. So, but, you know, it's part of the game. You kind of want that. I'm just glad to be hiding in the shadows like a true puppeteer.
1: Uh-huh. Full circle. Once again, full circle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like to
0: put little buttons on things, and, you know.
1: And as the final thing that I do want to ask you, and I ask this of yeah. all my guests. Wait. Um, it's a very, it's a, an, it's an uh, important question. You know, I want to set the bar super high for you. And just yeah. here we go. Okay, you ready? You sitting down? You prepared? Yeah, I'm
0: so ready. I'm so ready, dude.
1: So if you were to give one piece of advice to someone who, who wants to be in your shoes one day uh-huh. or yeah. a piece of advice you would give your younger self, what piece of advice would that be?
0: Uh, I will I will dole this out to uh to any uh young up and comer who really wants to uh, get Dude, keep slugging away at it. Tenacity is everything. Don't don't give up on your dream. Just keep going. Do what you need to do to keep it alive. Uh, It really sometimes it takes a lot of time. You know, not all of us can you know stroll into an audition and you know become a next thing. Uh, Just tenacity is everything. Also, follow find the places and the people that make you happy. And stay with them and, you know, take the time to nurture yourself and don't, don't be in a rush. Just hang in there. Uh, it's great that uh, performing and, uh, and puppeteering and all that kind of stuff, and there, there's no sort of, you can't, you don't have to start at a certain age. It's not an Olympic sport. Yeah, there's, there's no rush. Don't be in a race with anybody uh you know support your competitors and uh just hang in there hang in there it'll come around if you got the chops it'll come around fame will come around and you know don't worry about being famous
1: who cares true i mean if look if you're doing what makes you happy then you've achieved it you've achieved that's the whole secret it's the whole
0: secret just keep doing what you what makes you happy and and if it makes you happy keep doing it find a way to keep doing it don't stop but, you know, a lot of times for people, they start out in the business and it's just so frustrating. They don't want to, you know, they, and, you know, there's nothing wrong in that. But if you really, truly want it and it makes you happier than anything else in the world, keep at it.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, Lucky, I just want to thank you again for being on my show. I really enjoyed talking with you. You had some awesome. Oh Yeah. So,
0: well, I, I'm afraid I did most of the talking, Max. I'm sorry to have hogged all the airtime.
1: No, look, that's it's what a rambling. That's what an interview's supposed to be. You should be talking more than <laughs> <baby>. <laughs> I'm quite verbose. Um, but uh, like I said, I appreciate you being on here. I feel like now a part of me wants to call you Sheriff Yates. So we'll uh, you
0: can, I'll answer to it.
1: <laughs> we'll see. But to anybody listening, remember you can visit us on our website at www.talkinglatenight.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Talking Late, Talking Late Night. And you can also find us on iTunes where you can take a listen and leave a review. Hopefully five stars. Uh, Sheriff Yates, would you go <laughs> Would here? I give you five stars?
0: Yeah, I, would, yeah.
1: I would give you 100
0: stars if they would allow it
1: what boom that's all i need you know what i'm deleting the whole episode and that's going to be the clip (laughs) that
0: that one little sound bite oh great
1: (laughs) well thank you again for listening and thank you to lucky yates and we'll see you next time thanks max